For the Nick, but Richard's been here 13 years. For the Nick's 12 years. Jacob, one year. Is that right? So you're the kind of church that likes to hang on to folks, and, and they like to hang on to be with y'all. That's a that's a good sign that folks want to stay with you. Y'all obviously been good to them, and they've been good to you as well. I don't know if y'all clap or not, but would you show appreciation to your pastor? You clap. It looks like you do clap when you're asked to. I'm thankful for that. I always know how to show appreciation. I love pastors. I love church staff. I love being one. I love getting to serve your Kentucky Baptist Convention. And glad to be with you all this morning. Go ahead and find Philippians 1 in your Bible, if you would, please. Philippians 1, verses 3 through 5. I want to speak to you on the subject of advancing the gospel together. Any of you all are married or have been married at some point in your life? Raise your hand good and high. If you are married or were married. How many of you also in your marriage uh, hope for your marriage to be a real partnership? You want to be partners together in your marriage. That was your desire. That's not always easy. You know, you're trying to blend two lives together. There are challenges whenever you're trying to merge a husband and wife and they're starting out together. Connie and I have been married 31 years. We like to affectionately say tongue-in-cheek that those have been 30 of the best years of our life. The first year was pretty challenging. We knew we were supposed to become one. We just couldn't agree on which one we were going to become. That was our battle. But by God's grace, we worked it through. And our marriage is a genuine partnership today. We love life together. We've raised children together. We've done ministry together. Uh, Connie's the smarter partner in the marriage than I am, and I'm sure many men here could agree that your situation is the same. A few years ago, uh, she noticed our back patio was, it just had some debris built up on it from the wintertime, little sticks and twigs and leaves and the like, and it was a nice day outside, so she wanted to go out and clean off the patio, so she went to the garage, which was connected to our kitchen, and she grabbed our my power blower and came back in, and she was holding it in some kind of a weird upside-down sort of way, and she said, you think it'd be hard for me to start this? And I said, here, let me start it for you. Next thing you know, I'm cleaning the patio, and Connie's playing with our dog in the backyard. She's the smarter partner in our, our marriage. In Philippians 1, the Apostle Paul is talking about the partnership that he had with the Philippian church. Paul loved this church. In fact, if you'd like to see the origins of the Philippian church, you can read Acts 16, and you can see how this church got started. Paul preached the gospel, and folks started getting saved in Philippi. Lydia got saved, and she opened her home, and the demon-possessed girl, she got saved, and Paul and Silas got thrown in jail, and the jailer and his family got saved, and, and this church partnered with Paul in advancing the gospel. Well, we're not Philippi, and I'm certainly not the Apostle Paul, but we are in a gospel partnership together. Your church has a gospel partnership, and if you're a member of this church, you're partnering with your church in advancing the gospel. And I'd like to speak to you about advancing the gospel together, three simple realities. Philippians 1 verses 3 through 5 reads like this. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Three realities about advancing the gospel together. The first one is the priority of advancing the gospel. In verse 5, Paul says, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. All of us have priorities. There are certain things that are important to us, things that we order our lives around, things that we're going to do no matter what. In fact, I can guess that we probably share at least one priority in common. How many of you all love to eat? Raise your hand good and high if you love to eat. I love to eat. I'm either eating or I'm thinking about eating. And uh, When my family and I think of vacation, we may miss out on some national historic landmark, but we're going to find a good cheeseburger wherever we go. It's just our way. Sometimes me and Connie are having breakfast. I'll say, Connie, what are we going to have for supper? 
And she gets so put out with me, she'll say, we're right now eating breakfast and you're thinking about supper. And, and I say, well, I, you know, I might fix it or, or we might go out to eat. I just want to make sure somebody's thinking about it. Don't you? We're eating now. We hope to eat again as the day goes on. I was preaching revival at Pellville Baptist Church a couple of years back, and the deacons wanted to have some snacks for me. They had a room there where I was going to stay during the revival. And, and so the deacon reached out by email and said, we'd like to get you some snacks. What would you like? And I said, I really don't need any snacks, but thanks for offering. He emailed a second time and said, we'd like to get you some snacks. And what would you like? And I was trying to watch what I was eating at the time. I didn't want to tell him all that. And, and I said, I really don't need any snacks. And so he emailed a third time and being very persistent, I said, well, I, I drink water and coffee. That's all I drink. And if there's some peanuts in the room, I'd eat the peanuts. And, and so I got there, and they had the water and the coffee, and they had the peanuts. But they had this other stuff I'd never seen before, peanuts and candy corn mixed together. Have y'all ever had that? Listen, I've never actually smoked crack cocaine, but I'm pretty sure crack couldn't be more addictive than peanuts and candy corn mixed together. If you get the combination right, it tastes just like a payday candy bar in every bite. I told that story somewhere the day, and some lady came to me, and she said, if you add M&M's to it, it's even better. The last thing I need is to make it better than it already is. Food is a priority for all of us, but advancing the gospel was a priority for the Philippian church. Notice some things about this priority. It's stated. Paul says, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, from the very beginning, as soon as Lydia heard the gospel in Acts chapter 16, the next thing she did was open her home for Paul and Silas to minister from her home. It's been their priority from the time they started as a church. It's a priority of this church. You're advancing the gospel together. The priority was stated. The priority was also sustained in this church. It says from the first day until now. No matter how many years it had been since Paul had, had, had been with the Philippians, at the point of writing this letter, that was still a priority of that church. They still wanted the good news of Jesus Christ to go forward. It was a stated and sustained priority, but it's a focused priority. He said, in view of your participation in the gospel, they weren't just organized for no reason. They were working together for a particular reason, to advance the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we see in scripture that it was a priority for, for the Philippians, but it must be a priority for us as well. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, a priority of your life must be to advance his gospel, that we want to see the good news of Jesus go forward. Just as we've sung in worship this morning, as we've been led in prayer to remember the good news we've received, that others might receive that same good news as well. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there may I, the violence wash all my sins away. And as my sins have been washed away, then I'm going to want others to have that same experience and that same hope in Christ that I've had. It must be our priority also. In Matthew 28, verse 18, the Lord Jesus gives us this great mission, the great commission, and this great priority. Look at what he says when he says in verse 18, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, them being the, the disciples who were gathered. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This is our resurrected Christ. Then he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It was the priority of the Philippians. It's a priority of Jesus for us. It must become our priority as well. Over in Acts chapter 1, we see the Lord Jesus Christ, having risen from the dead, about to ascend up into heaven. And he says to his disciples in verse 8, 
but you will receive power. That power is of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. It must be our priority. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we see that advancing the gospel is the priority of the Apostle Paul. He says in verse 19, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I may win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, that uh, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, so that I, by all means, I may by all means save, save some. Paul's priority was to win people to the Lord Jesus Christ, to preach the gospel, and to trust God to work through the preaching of his word. In Romans 1, verse 15, Paul says, So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Well, there's a priority for advancing the gospel. It's a priority of the Philippian church. It's become our priority as well. And it's a priority of this church. Listen to this. Since 1980, Bloomfield Baptist Church has baptized 522 people. Would you praise the Lord for that and just be encouraged by that ministry? If you were saved or baptized through the ministry of Bloomfield Baptist Church at any point, would you just raise your hand good and high and hold it up? Would you all look around us for a second? Look at some of the fruit of, the, of God's work in this church. Advancing the gospel has been a priority of Bloomfield Baptist. You've not drifted off into some social message. You've not drifted off into some uh, be a good neighbor, but don't share the gospel kind of a work. You've been consistently and faithfully preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Your church is committed to Southern Baptist missions and giving. Uh, since 1928, Bloomfield Baptist has sent $1,506,658 to fund ministry and missions through the cooperative program. Your church has advanced the gospel, not just here at home, but also all over the world. You're funding right now more than 3,500 missionaries who are in some of the toughest places on the planet. You've helped plant more than 10,000 churches in North America. You're caring for places like Oneida Baptist Institute, Clear Creek Baptist Bible College, Sunrise Children's Services, who cares for nearly 2,000 of Kentucky's most needy and neglected children through foster care and adoption every year. You're funding that kind of work, and you're participating in that kind of work. You, this church has been committed to advancing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, I was asked to go and visit a fellow named Bob Lester. Bob is a member of Liberty Point Baptist Church in Cadiz. Bob grew up in Trigg County, and, and Bob wanted to, he, I'd written an article about the cooperative program, part of, uh, part of my work. I believe in cooperative program. I think we can do more together than any church can do by itself. And Bob wanted me to come down and visit with him. He wanted to share his perspective on the cooperative program. So Bob told this story. He said that he grew up in a church at a time in West Kentucky when the churches in Trick County area were trying to decide would they be part of the cooperative program giving or would they do independent mission work, funding missionaries, just single ones out on their own. He said his church, uh, Rocky Ridge, I think it was at that time, uh, had decided to go with cooperative program, and he shared the name of another fellow who led a church in a different direction to fund independent missionaries. 
Bob said he started tithing in 1956 on his first tobacco crop. He sold it and tithed to God on a tobacco crop. And he said, since that time, he said, the cooperative program has helped me to advance the gospel all around the world. He said, every one of those missionaries are missionaries I'm helping to fund. And the fruit of their work, and not just the fruit of their work, but the fruit of those who are saved through their work, he said, I'm part of that work. Everything they're doing, I'm part of what they're doing. He said, all of those seminary students who graduated from six seminaries all across America, he said, every all of their work, I've invested in every one of those seminary students, those pastors and missionaries. And man, time Bob got finished, I thought Bob ought to be leading the charge of the cooperative program. But he understands, then he said this about his church, and I know the church where Bob's a member of. He said, my church has partnered with me and helped me partner to advance the gospel. It was interesting to hear Bob say this because Liberty Point's a great church in Creek County. They've had their problems just like any other church, but Bob didn't focus on the problems. He focused on the gospel advancement that had happened, and he said, my church has helped me as a Christian fulfill the Great Commission. Every follower of Jesus Christ must have a priority of advancing the gospel, not just by ourselves, but advancing the gospel together. Well, you see the priority, but notice the practice of advancing the gospel together. In verse 5, Paul says, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. There's a practice of advancing the gospel and doing it together. I was at a Cracker Barrel a while back, and you know how Cracker Barrel works. You stand in line and wait for a table. A host or hostess seats you, and I was waiting for a table, and there was an elderly couple behind me. They also were waiting for a table, and and when I say elderly, that's not a a, you know, a judgment statement. They were obviously older, up advanced in years, and, and they were a small stature. I'm tall, and so I noticed that they weren't very tall. And, and the husband was kind of bent over a little bit, which happens to all of us as we age. And he was used to cane, and he was holding his wife's hand, and they were there together. And, and so I just had a conversation with them and, and said, um, how long have you two been married? And he looked up with a big smile on his face. He said, 63 years, as happy as he could be of his wife. And and then I said, well, it's, it's wonderful that you're still holding hands after all those years. And she looked up like I was hard of hearing. And she said, we have to. We're holding each other up. She was saying that they were partners. They were working together in their marriage. Well, look at the practice of partnering together in advancing the gospel. Number one, it's a personal matter. Paul says, in view of your participation in the gospel. Now, he's referring to the Philippian church. But that church was made up of followers of Jesus, men and women who'd been born again, who'd heard the good news, men and women who had names, just like the members of this church, who at some point in their life had come under conviction of personal sin, who had repented and trusted in Jesus and understood that the Great Commission was their mission. It's a personal decision to partner with a church in advancing the gospel. And it's a practical uh, partnership. Uh, look, at, look at verse 5. It says, if you have your participation, the Greek word for participation is koinonia, and we translate often as fellowship. Oftentimes when we think about fellowship, we're thinking about chicken legs and banana pudding. Amen? Well, when Paul mentions fellowship, he's talking about their partnership, something that they were participating in together, they were working on together. And notice it is a, it's a particular a partnership. In view of your participation in the gospel, it was a particular thing that the Philippian believers were gathered together about. Now, is that all they did? No, it wasn't all they did. They preached the gospel. They preached, the, they preached God's word for the care of the flock. They ministered to each other. They met practical needs of the church and 
probably far beyond the church, out in the community. They did ministry. They worshiped. They prayed. They did all those things that any healthy church does, but they were focused on advancing the gospel. And notice how they were doing it. Look over at Philippians chapter 4 just for a moment. I want you to notice a couple of things that are highlights about this church. In chapter 4, verse 1 and following, there's an issue in the Philippian congregation that's threatening their well-being. Their unity is being disrupted. And Paul's addressing that in Philippians 4. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. And he says in verse 2, I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. These two ladies, for some reason, were out of fellowship with each other. And the Apostle Paul was calling them back together. And then in verse 3, he says, Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. These two women had been prominent leaders in that church in helping to advance the gospel. And now something had happened where they were at odds with each other and their relationship was strained. And the strain of their relationship was threatening the well-being of that Philippian congregation and was threatening the congregation's ability to advance the gospel together. And then it says further on, he says that together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, all of these were fellow workers in the practice of advancing the gospel whose names are in the book of life. Now look over at Philippians 4, around verse 15. If you were to try to figure out what the book of Philippians is all about, this is what it's all about. It's a thank you note from the, the Apostle Paul to the Philippian church for their financial support of his ministry. And in verse 15, he says, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. The Philippians had financially supported Paul's work of advancing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Bloomfield Baptist Church, I just want to say that's what you've done as well. You have advanced the gospel, not just here in your own community. Praise God that you're doing it right here. Praise God that since 1980, 522 people have been baptized through the ministry of this church. Praise God that today you are still preaching the gospel. Your pastor is preaching the gospel. You have outreaches aimed to help others in your community hear the gospel. Uh, you have folks who are witnessing and sharing Jesus with your neighbors. Hopefully every member is praying for lost folks to be saved. But not only are you doing that here, you are doing that far beyond here as well. What does it look like to practice advancing the gospel together? Well, you're doing it through your local church. An offering was just collected. My guess is that many of you tithe to God through your local church. You set aside 10% of your income and you give it back to God through your local church because you want to see the needs of this church met, but you also want to see the gospel advance beyond this church. I'm a member of Simpsonville Baptist Church. I tithe to God through that church, and I'm confident that that church is using those dollars to advance the good news of Jesus, not just right there at home, which they're doing, but also far beyond there as well. So you're, you're partnering through your church, but your church is also partnering through your association. You're part of the Nelson Baptist Association of Churches, and, and your church is working to help that association plant other churches and start other churches and, and cooperate together in ministry. You're part of the Kentucky Baptist Convention, which means that you fund Baptist campus ministry work all across the state of Kentucky. You help plant churches right here in Kentucky. In fact, I was in one of the churches just last Sunday night that you helped plant uh, Comfort Missionary Baptist in Louisville, Kentucky. You, gotta, you won't believe this. This is what you're helping to do. That church, the Pastor Emery, the, there are five African countries represented in that, in that church. 
there are uh, folks from Uganda, from Burundi, from Rwanda, from uh, two more, uh, Congo and uh, Kenya, I think was the other one. So they preach in two languages every Sunday. And when I preach in English, so they some folks understand enough English to hear uh, my English, and then they translate into Swahili. We started at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We finished up somewhere around 5 o'clock. Um, uh, and then they wanted to say and eat after that. I said, I've got to go home. But listen, they worship, they dance, they, I mean, it was, it was really, you, you all should see it. But listen to this. There are about 4,000 African refugees in Louisville. That church has about 120 people in it. They planted another church in Lexington. They planted one in Indianapolis. They're about to plant one in Cincinnati, and they're planting two others back in Uganda. You're partnering to help that church get up and going. You're, you're helping that work. You're helping that church reach other folks with the gospel, and then you're doing it through your international missionaries and others as well. Well, there's the priority, and there's the practice of advancing the gospel. But what's the product of advancing the gospel? In verse 5, Paul says, in view of your participation, koinonia, your fellowship, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Look at the product. Number one, it produces gratitude. In verse 3, Paul says, I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you. And then in verse 5, in view of your participation in the gospel. It produces gratitude for the apostle Paul. Just imagine how he felt. You never know what's going to happen when you go out and preach the gospel. Paul answered the call. Acts chapter 16 is an incredible story of Paul the Apostle trying to figure out where to go as God was leading him. He tried a couple of places. The Spirit of God said no. He saw a vision of a man from Macedonia that said, come over here and help us. And Paul believed God was calling him to preach the gospel there. Went out by Riverside. There was no synagogue in Philippi, which was his custom to go to a synagogue and preach Jesus there. But there weren't enough Jewish men to have one. But there was a prayer meeting. A group of ladies were gathered. Paul didn't know much about those ladies, so he just went and did what he would always do. He preached the gospel. In Acts 16, it says, God opened the heart of a woman named Lydia to receive the things that were spoken by Paul. Lydia got saved, incredibly, amazingly saved. And then the gospel just spread forth from there. And when Paul thought back on that Philippian church, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Paul wasn't thankful because they were a large church or a wealthy church, or an influential church. Paul was thankful because they were a gospel-advancing church. The gospel didn't die out with Lydia. It didn't die out with the demon-possessed slave girl or the Philippian jailer and his family. The gospel was going forth from them into other places. So it produces gratitude. It prompts prayer. In verse uh, 2, Paul, or 4, rather, Paul says, always offering prayer, again in verse 5, in view of your participation in the gospel. Don't you want to pray for folks who are making Jesus known? Isn't that kind of in our heart when we hear someone and meet someone who's sharing the good news of Jesus that we want to pray for them? It also provides encouragement. Verse 4, Paul says, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. But make no mistake about it, the gospel is advanced in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Well, why do we need to continue to focus on preaching the gospel. 2,000 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus nearly. Why do we uh, keep talking about the Great Commission and making sure that, that Christ is being known all over the, all over, and spend a lot of money. Southern Baptists have spent lots of money. In fact, we're coming up on the, on the 100th anniversary of the Pocket Program just in Kentucky. 
If churches continue to give like they've been giving, we'll hit a billion dollars that's been given to fund ministry and missions just through the cooperative program in 2025. Why spend so much money advancing the gospel? Our, our International Mission Board President, Dr. Paul Chitwood, reminds us that the world's greatest problem is not a political problem. It's not a hunger problem. It's not even a health problem, though those issues are important and significant. But the world's greatest problem is a spiritual problem, and it's a spiritual problem with eternal consequences. The world's greatest problem is lostness. People are lost and separated from God because of sin. And we have the cure, the answer to the world's greatest problem, and it's the gospel. Right here, listen to this. I want to share three numbers with you, and I'll tell you what they mean. The first one's 46,738. The second one is 7.6%. And the third one is 43,185. Here's what those numbers represent. 46,738 is the 2020 census population of Nelson County, Kentucky. 46,738 people. 7.6% is the percentage of that population, according to Glen Mary Research, who does their research based on church attendance records. 7.6% is the percentage of that population that attends some church somewhere on Sunday morning. 43,185 is the number of people in Nelson County, Kentucky, who are not in any church anywhere on Sunday morning. Our work continues. The gospel must be spread right here at home and also around the world. In 1970, Harold Skaggs was pastor at First Baptist Church, Oak Grove, Kentucky. Oak Grove is the host town of Fort Campbell Army Post, one of the nation's largest military installations. And around that time, the Vietnam buildup was happening, and the 101st Airborne was about to be sent off into Vietnam. At that time, when the soldiers were sent out, the spouses had to go back home because they weren't allowed to stay living on, on post while the, the husband was gone to war. And so the church had scheduled a revival about that time. They heard the deployment about to happen, but the Herald called the deacons together and to talk to them about whether they should have this revival. He brought them together in a meeting and said, men, the Oak Grove's about to become a, a ghost town. If the soldiers go out, the spouses are gone home. I'm not sure we need to have this revival. And the men started talking about it. They were about to decide that it probably didn't make a lot of sense to have that revival with the soldiers gone and, and the spouses gone as well. And that was about to carry the meeting until a man named Ed Hancock spoke up. Mr. Ed didn't say a lot in meetings, but when he did say something, folks generally listened to him. And Mr. Ed spoke up and he said, Ben, he said to me, he said, these soldiers are about to go off into harm's way. And he said, many of them are not going to return home. And he said, many of them are lost. He said, so to me, this doesn't seem like the time we need to cancel our revival. This seems like the time we need to redouble our efforts and have the best revival that we could possibly have. His voice carried the day. They had the revival. There were 57 men who made professions of faith during that week of revival services. Bloomfield Baptist Church, I say to you, this is not the time to pull back. It's not the time to give up. It's not the time to let up. This is the time to do all we can during our generation, during our stay here on earth, to advance the gospel right here where God has put you as a church, to keep preaching the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, to keep being the warm, inviting church that you already are, but also to keep making sure that you're giving, working, praying, laboring, taking trips like you're about to take to Poland, doing the things that you do, that you've been doing as a church to make sure that other people, other places have the same opportunity that you had to hear the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the good work that you do and that you have been doing. May God continue to use you to advance the gospel here and around the world. Now, there might be some here this morning that for you, 
this message isn't exactly what you were hoping for or what you needed this morning. If you're a Christian, you have reason to rejoice. You have a great commission to participate in. If you're here among us and you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to say to you on behalf of Jesus, on behalf of this church, that God loves you. Amen, church? Would you agree with that? God loves you. But the truth is, our sin separates us from God, and we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Our sin is like a stain that we can't remove by good deeds that we do or churches that we join or religious rituals that we perform. But paying the price for sin, Jesus Christ, the Savior, went to the cross as our substitute. He died in our place. He took the wrath of God for us. Jesus was buried and rose again. This invitation goes out from the Bible. Jesus himself said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent is when you and I make an honest confession that my life is going in the wrong direction. My life is not pleasing to God. And I'm ready to turn from my sin and turn and put my faith and trust in Jesus. The Bible said that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If that describes you this morning and you've never personally trusted Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, then I want to ask you today, would you give your life to Christ today? Would you today, right here, right now, say, I've lived without Jesus long enough, and I'm ready today to come to the Savior, to trust in Him, to look to Him, to, to put my faith in Him. Preacher, what do I need to do? Well, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You need to repent and believe the gospel. Put all your trust, all your faith in Jesus. We're going to sing an invitation song, and I want to invite anyone who needs to respond this morning to respond. If you're here today and you need to make this church your church home, that God's leading you to join Bloomfield Baptist Church. This is a great church. Amen, church? It's a great church. Would you come today and say, we've decided that God's called us here. We'll make this church our church home. If you're here this morning and God's put a calling on your life, God's called you to preach the gospel, and you need to say yes to his calling, would you come during this invitation and say, I'm ready today to say yes to God's call on my life. It may be there's someone here this morning that you need to be baptized. You've been saved, but you've not been baptized since you've become a believer. Would you come today during this invitation and say, I'm ready to be baptized as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's possible you'll want to pray for someone during this invitation. You're welcome to come and pray. You want to pray for your county? You want to pray for your church? If you want to pray for your own family, you, you feel free to come and kneel across the front, sit on these front pews. You pray as long as you want to. No one's going to bother you or ask what you've come to pray about. When you finish praying, you can get up and go right back to your seat. But if you're here today and you say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus, your pastor will be standing right down front while we're singing the invitation song. Would you come and say, today I'm ready to trust in Christ. I'm going to pray for us and we'll sing the invitation and you please.